Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. In our last teaching, Paul and his companions had finally arrived in Jerusalem, where Paul hoped to be able to share with his countrymen the wonderful truth that Jesus of Nazareth was the risen Lord and Savior, their promised Messiah. However, it wasn't long before Paul was once again violently attacked and placed under arrest at the Roman commander uh, Claudius Lysias at his command. Paul requested to have an opportunity to talk to the angry crowd and was given permission. As I shared in our last session, what Paul shared has become an excellent template for us to follow whenever we share our personal testimony. A good and succinct testimony includes the following three main sections. Our life before Jesus, our encounter with Jesus, and what our life is now that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So also with Paul's testimony to the crowd. First, Paul briefly shared with them about his life before Jesus revealed himself to him. And Paul described himself as someone who was a lawkeeper according to the strictest definition. However, he was also an angry man who zealously persecuted the church. He traveled from city to city for the express purpose of hunting down Christians, having them beaten and arrested, only to be taken back to Jerusalem and killed for their crime of being followers of Jesus Christ. We now come to the rest of his testimony, which is covered in verses 6 through 21 of Acts chapter 22. However, in order to keep things in their proper context, I will read through Paul's entire testimony. So for today, I will begin reading with chapter 21, verse 1. Paul said this on that day, Brethren and fathers, hear me. Hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses uh, to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him stand, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then Jesus said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Paul openly confessed that he had previously obtained letters from the religious authorities, giving him authority to arrest and prosecute the followers of the way, which was the title Christians went by in those days. I want to point out that so far in his personal testimony, he is doing two things. First, he is establishing common ground with his listeners. Second, he makes a strong argument regarding his Jewish heritage, a keeper of the law and zealous for the God of their fathers. These things are important. Whenever we share our personal testimony, it is vitally important that we find common ground with the one we are talking to. When this is established, the listener is open to listen to what we have to say because they can be actively engaged in what is shared through their own personal experiences and emotions. Common ground removes barriers that so often quickly hinder the open discussion of what we are trying to share. Also, Paul was very wise to begin with his Jewish heritage. You will remember that the charges that were brought against him had to do with the law. They were accusing him of violating the temple by bringing a Gentile into the inner court of the temple. Furthermore, they accused him of teaching against the law of Moses. 
Paul pointed out to them his heritage of being raised in a Jewish home, that he was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. He reminded them that he had been educated in the law under Gamaliel, who was the leading theologian and rabbi of his day. Furthermore, that his education took place in Jerusalem while under the watched care of the Sanhedrin. He then reminded those standing before him that what he was engaged in, in persecuting the church, he had obtained certain documents of authority from some of the men who were standing in front of him. I wonder if he looked at them in the eye as he was speaking. Did they squirm a little in their spirit? Well, Paul continues with his testimony. He was on one of his mission trips, documents in hand, rage in his heart, and he was on a well-traveled public highway. But as he was drawing close to Damascus, suddenly a bright light shone out that was so powerful that Paul fell off his donkey and into the dirt on his knees. Out of the darkness, the source of the light spoke directly to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine what Paul must have been feeling at that moment? I think I would have broken out in a cold sweat, thankful that I was already on the ground because I would have been trembling so badly that I would not have been able to stand in the first place. Paul must have been shocked in spirit, and he was obviously confused because he asked the source of the voice, Who are you, Lord? Now we need to understand that Paul's use of the word Lord here was not a declaration of, of authority, but rather a, a term of respect, like, much like when we address someone by the term Sir. But then our Lord answered Paul's question. And this answer transformed his life from that moment forward. What was that answer? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I need to pause and discuss a little bit about what Jesus said. Because it has great implications for others and for us. When God's people are persecuted, in heaven's eyes, it is Jesus who is being persecuted. We find this teaching in several passages in the Bible. Let me share just a little bit from them. The first one that comes to mind is found in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about end times things. Let's read a little of that now. It is the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's just a little bit long, but I, I want you to receive the full impact of what Jesus is saying. So this is the parable, beginning Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In this passage, one of the things that Jesus makes clear is how one treats God's people is directly connected to their attitude toward Jesus. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan makes this insightful observation. He writes, let us keep the perspective in view. The last commission given to these, his brethren, was to disciple the nations. Among the nations, there are those who hear, obey, follow, receive, or at least sympathetic toward, and in the measure in which the disciples of Jesus create the attitude, they are preparing for the establishment of his kingdom in the world. And there before his throne, he will receive all men of character whose attitude toward himself has been defined by their attitude toward the brethren, not after the flesh, but by that closer affinity of loyalty to the will of God. Let me repeat that last sentence again. And there before his throne, Jesus will receive all men of character whose attitude toward himself has been defined by their attitude toward the brethren, not after the flesh, but by that closer affinity of loyalty to the will of God. However, 
If they reject the message by rejecting the messenger, then they will also be turned away on that day. Morgan continues, any of those who have been against the ideals and the character of the kingdom, as they have been represented, will not be admitted. Oh my. That is a terrible consequence for rejecting the message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The other passage that comes to mind is found in John chapter 15. Jesus had been sharing his last supper with his disciples. Judas had already left the group, and Jesus had been sharing with those who remained his final teachings. In the midst of this teaching, he shared this warning, which is actually more of a reality than a warning. Jesus said this, chapter 15, beginning verse 19. If you were of the world, excuse me, let me say that again. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. In this passage, Jesus makes a direct connection with us and himself. If the world hated Jesus, it will hate us. If the world would love Jesus, they would love us. We need to remember that it, it's all about Jesus. And Paul understood this, and therefore, he became even bolder to share the message that God had entrusted to him, knowing that those who stood before him were responsible to God alone for how they chose to respond to that message. Anyway, back to Paul's testimony. Jesus revealed himself to Paul as Jesus, the head of the church, the Lord of every Christian man, woman, boy, or girl. And Paul was deeply impacted, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. In fact, he became blind because of the light that had shined on him that day. He was led into the city of Damascus and fasted and prayed for three days. Oh, goodness. He must have thought through every Old Testament messianic passage during that time in the light of the reality of the risen Christ. While he fasted and prayed, Jesus spoke to a godly man, Ananias, who gave him a message for Paul. Ananias was to commission Paul into the ministry that would be to the Gentiles, sharing with them the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching them from the Old Testament scriptures about God, his precepts, and how to live godly and holy lives. Ananias was also to lay hands on him that Paul's eyesight might be restored back to him. And Ananias was faithful to obey the command without question 
and without delay. I again want to point out two things. First, you will notice how Paul chose to describe Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. In describing Ananias in this way, Paul is once again connecting his testimony to the listeners who were so concerned about keeping the law of Moses. Ananias was known as a good Jew who kept the law. However, Ananias had also become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was to this godly man that Jesus revealed himself and commanded him with this responsibility. Second, you will notice that Jesus called Paul to go to the Gentiles. For this lifelong faithful Jew, he must have at first been shocked. Everyone knew that a good Jew would never even enter the home of a Gentile. Yet Jesus was sending Paul, this excellent Pharisee, to Gentile lands to tell them about Jesus and to teach them the scriptures. And Paul obeyed. And he would count many godly Gentiles as his spiritual brothers and co-laborers for the sake of Christ. He would love them dearly. But there is actually more, because in Acts chapter 9, where the original account is of, this, of uh, Paul's um, conversion is recorded, this is what Jesus said to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's ministry was not just to the Gentiles, but it would also incorporate suffering for the name of Jesus. And as we have walked with Paul through the pages of our Bible, we can affirm that suffering was definitely a part of his ministry experience. And from the beginning, it did not matter to Paul that he would have to suffer for the one who had suffered and died for him. From that day forward, his one purpose in life was to share Jesus with as many who would listen, no matter how far he had to travel, no matter what he had to suffer in order to obey this calling upon his life. The Life Application Bible Commentary makes the following excellent observation. Upon encountering Jesus, Paul recognized him as Lord of all, asked the only appropriate question, what shall I do, and then obeyed without reservation. This ought to be each believer's continual daily response to God. Renewing the mind requires seeing Jesus as the one who controls all things, who alone deserves to direct our lives. Living the new life demands that we seek his will and then implement it. This is true submission.
It explains why Paul was so faithful and fruitful for God, and it suggests how we can live effectively for Christ. Returning back to our passage in Acts, let us now read verses 14 through 16 once again. Then Ananias said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And this is what Paul did. He already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in his heart. And in obedience to the command of Christ in the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Paul was baptized as his outward testimony of the inward work of Christ in his life. He who had been spiritually dead in sin was now spiritually alive in Christ born again, a child of God, an ambassador of Christ, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now that he is a Christian, life became very different for him. Paul returned to Jerusalem without carrying out his original message. He was now very zealous for Jesus, and however, Paul told those who were listening that while he was in the temple praying, Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a vision and instructed him to leave Jerusalem because the people there would not receive the gospel message from him. Paul made his appeal to Jesus because he remembered how he had stood by giving his approval to the martyrdom of Stephen. However, Jesus insisted that Paul needed to leave, so Paul obeyed and thus began a life filled with ministry and travel suffering persecution, making great strides for the kingdom of God, in the power of God, for the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul shared with the crowd about the vision he had received of Jesus, the crowd erupted once again in rage and, and supposed righteous indignation. Therefore, whatever Paul had planned to share after that was forever silenced and he was hauled off to prison. Well, once again, we are out of time, so we will pick up the account in our next session. But before we close, I would like to share an observation that Dr. Warren Wearsby makes regarding this situation. He writes this. Paul's entire time in Jerusalem was one filled with serious misunderstandings, but he pressed on. Perhaps at this point some of his friends were saying, we told him so, we warned him. For Paul and his associates it may have looked like the end of the road, but God had other plans for them. Paul would witness again and again, and to people he could never have met had he not been a Roman prisoner. God's missionary did get to Rome, and the Romans paid the bill. That's what happens when God's people are willing 
to be daring. Are you daring? Are you willing? Will you be bold for Jesus Christ? Once again, we see how God works through the various difficult situations we may encounter to accomplish his greater work. I'm reminded once again of what Joseph said to his brothers when they came to him in humility and repentance. Joseph said, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Yes, it is true. Even as it is written in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Finally, let me quote the following. Listen to the question. How will you answer it? God spoke to Paul through a vision and through his friends. He speaks to us in various ways, through his written word, through circumstances and coincidences, through Bible study, sermons, memories, nature, even art. The right question is not, is God speaking to me, but am I listening for his voice. Make it your goal to hear what God is saying. He wants to guide you and give you daily reminders of his power and presence in your life. Are you listening? What will you answer? Heavenly Father, I'm reminded of the passage in Isaiah when you called him and he saw a glorious vision of you. And you asked him a question, whom will I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah's answer was, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, give us a heart like Isaiah and like your servant Paul who were willing to suffer anything for the sake of the gospel of truth, the message of Jesus, the one who died for our sins and rose to life for our justification, the one who has ascended on high and is soon returning as the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Impress upon our hearts, Lord, the urgency of the hour. Create a passion within our hearts, O oh Lord, to be bold in the testimony, Lord. Yes, it is true. Not everyone is called to be a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist, but we are all called to be witnesses, to tell our story. For you have done a miraculous, wonderful work in our lives. For we were once dead in our sins, and you have made us alive in Christ because of your grace, because of your love, because of your great mercy. 
And, O Lord, you have saved us not just to be saved, but to serve you and tell others so that they too might be born again, born from above, to be known and called children of God. Place them upon our hearts, O Lord, with a burning passion and place within our hearts a zeal that cannot be quenched. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, my friend, let me encourage you to be bold in the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful in prayer. Walk in the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And be thankful. God bless you, my friend. <music>